Welcome to Tamandra Harkness Takes a Risk. This is my new podcast, and it's also me taking a risk, because I have presented and written and edited radio before, but I've always worked with producers and sound designers and engineers, and they've been able to spin my straw into gold. But this time, it's just me finding out what happens when I go off and play unsupervised, with nobody to say, I don't think that's going to work. Every episode is a conversation with somebody, or a few somebodies, who have a particular relationship with risk. In this episode, I'm talking to three volcanologists. So, for example, I worked in Hawaii, and you could walk up and you could toast marshmallows on the lava. Don't please <laughs> take, this take this, this as tourist this advice. Is, this is the first thing you should do uh, when you toast marshmallows. You heard it here first. <laughs> With some surprising fears of their own. My name's Dr Rebecca Williams and I'm a volcanologist based at the University of Hull and you join us here today at Cheltenham Science Festival. I'm Jasmine Scarlett, I'm a PhD student in volcanology at the University of Hull as well and we are at Cheltenham Science Festival. Uh, I'm Chris Jackson, I'm an earth scientist from Imperial College uh, London and I am in this beautiful tent at the Cheltenham Science Festival as well. Good, so we're all at the Cheltenham Science Festival in the what we're calling the party tent, looking a bit dishevelled this morning. Now volcanologist, you study volcanoes. Is that enough of a description? You're frowning slightly, Rebecca, as if I <laughs> made the rookie error that everybody makes. Like, oh, they hear volcanologists. Like, is, is there more to it than that? Uh, yeah, there is. So I'm a physical volcanologist. Um, so that means that I tend to go out and to the actual volcano and look at the rocks around the volcano to try and interpret them and understand how they got there and what that means about how the volcano behaves. Isn't that really dangerous? I don't tend to go to actively erupting volcanoes, so not as dangerous as you'd think. <laughs> so, for example, they might have erupted um, recently, but they might not have erupted for um, tens of thousands of years, or the ones that I go see in the UK haven't erupted for 400 million years, so there's plenty to see. Okay. And do you, do you send your PhD student to dangerous <laughs> I don't send Jasmine anywhere. Uh, Jasmine has recently gone to um, her study area volcano, um, St. Vincent in the Caribbean, um, but it hasn't erupted since 1979. You're going to correct me on that because you know that volcano better than I do. So 1979 sounds kind of recent on a geological scale. Does it worry you at all? It doesn't worry me. I don't know if it worries the populace who are there either, but yeah, it's very recent eruption and it's still in living memory. So actually one of... My parts of my PhD was actually going there and doing interviews with the people who remember the eruption, tell me how they kind of experienced the event themselves, and then how that fitted into the wider picture of what um, happened with the actual volcano, and then how the actual uh, island itself actually responded to the eruption itself as well. How much are you studying like the physical, what the volcano does, and how much is it the, the human impact and how humans experience it? So I'm more interested in the hazards that the volcanoes produce, so basically the stuff that does the damage to the, um, to the people and to the, like, the buildings and the built-up environment. Yeah, that's definitely 
my main focus. I'm not very good at pointing out the rocks and interpreting the rocks, but I'm very good at looking at how these hazards interact with people and the environment. And you're an earth scientist, so what's your connection with volcanoes? I study lots of different things to do with the earth, but one of the things I do look at is volcanism. So that's the eruption of material at the earth's surface, but also something called magmatism, which is the more general term for um, melting within the earth. And then volcanoes are just part of the expression of that melting, because it's when all the melted stuff comes out. You're making volcanoes sound like a kind of artistic form that the earth sometimes indulges in. Uh, they do yield some very beautiful things. <laughs> like, you know, when a volcano's erupting, it can be incredibly dramatic and people can write poetry around it. And, you know, some of the, some of the, the kind of recollections of people are, are very dramatic. Yeah, maybe it is Earth Science Meets Art in that respect. And visually, you know, volcanoes produce incredible landforms. They inspire the mind and body because you can climb them. You know, there's, there's lots of uh, landscapes which are underpinned by uh, volcanoes. So. I was going to say, in fact, 36,000 years ago, people were drawing volcanoes on, in caves. So there is um, caves in France that they think there's like a splay type feature that comes out of like a triangle shaped feature. And at the same time, there were eruptions happening in France. They think that these are actually cave depictions of that. So we've been fascinated by volcanoes throughout human history, but we've also been drawing and expressing art around them since then as well. Oh, wow, I didn't expect that. So, so let me ask all three of you then, what does risk mean to you? As a physical volcanologist, it's very specific. It's about the impact of a hazardous event. So we have kind of risk assessments. So we'd be looking at if a volcano was going to erupt, how would it erupt, and what those processes, would, what damage they would do to people, to infrastructure, and to the environment. So that's how, as a volcanologist, I think about kind of risk. <laughs> well, pretty much the same, really. But for me, doing it from more from a social perspective, it's more how people themselves interpret and perceive risk. Um, and that's very much why I talk to people, because people describe volcanic corruption is very differently to how volcanologists and professionals describe and research risk and volcanoes. So from my perspective, it's pretty much the same what uh, Becky was saying, but also trying to add more of like a human dimension to it in terms of why people see risk differently mm. and how we can find, find a better way to live with the risk, I would say. When you say people understand, people who, like, who live near a volcano understand it very differently to how you do, do you think it would help them to tell them more about like the physical processes and how they work or do they just have a completely different perspective on it? I say I would flip that round and say it would be more important for a scientist to know how they see the risk and for us not to impose our understanding of risk on them because Obviously, we like we're very caught up in the jargon we use, and for ordinary people, they're like, "Is it going to destroy my house or not?" They're not really bothered about anything else. For what I've found with my research is they're very descriptive of how they describe volcanic hazards, so that's how they would describe the risk as well. It's very descriptive, and how it makes them feel as well. Not in terms of damage done, it's also like how it makes them feel as well. And what does risk mean to you? For me, I think it's, it's all about the people, right? Because if you say volcanoes are dangerous, right? And we probably tell kids that at school and, you know, you go and ask my mum, she'll say, oh, yeah, well, volcanoes are dangerous. That's not true. I think it's when you've got the interface between the volcanoes, there's natural processes and products and, and the people. So once you stop putting people in the vicinity where the 
you know, the, the behavior of the volcano is hazardous. That's when things get really difficult. Whereas, so I just think a blanket statement that there's risk or it's risky to live near volcanoes is, is, is not true because there's different levels of, you know, different types of behavior, different levels of risk. So it changes depending on where you are. I guess it de changes, depends on the culture. It's sort of, you know, how people will respond, how pre the preparedness of the, of the people who live near there. So the risk is a very dynamic shifting thing rather than just being dangerous, it's risky. If there was one piece of advice you could give, to, say I said, oh, well, I'm gonna go and move to this place where there's a volcano, and if there was one piece of advice you could give me you thought I might remember that would make it less risky for me, <laughs> what would it be? Oh, gosh. <laughs> make it less risky. <laughs> or, or at least enable me to make informed choices about how much risk I'm going to take. Maybe that's a better way to put it. I don't mind a certain level of risk. I mean, I, I own a motor... I own a motorbike, it's quieter than that one that keeps going past. Uh, I own a motorbike, but then I ride it very cautiously. So I have that, I kind of calibrate how much risk I accept. So we could assume if I said I'm going to go and move to live near a volcano that I know there's some risk involved. But could you give me advice that would help me understand and control the risk? So for me, it'd be two things. It would be to understand and learn about what kind of volcano that you're moving next to. Um, different volcanoes do different things, um, but also diff different volcanoes, the same volcano does different things. So, for example, I worked in Hawaii and you could walk up and you could toast marshmallows on the lava. Don't please <laughs> take, this take this, this as tourist this advice. Is, this is the first thing you should do about you can toast marshmallows. You heard it here first. <laughs> Sometimes the love is very slow, it's at kind of the end of the road, it's in a national park, it's very accessible. But actually that sometimes makes it very dangerous because people think it's like Volcano Disneyland. So they, <laughs> they remove all perception of risk because it's a national park and they're there as tourists, so it can't be dangerous, right? Everybody knows nothing dangerous happens to you on holiday. Exactly. It's like a rule of nature. <laughs> but then other volcanoes, they will, they will sit there peaceful and silent for tens of thousands of years and then suddenly go boom and have very devastating eruptions so you need to know kind of what volcano that you're dealing with but my second piece of advice would be to know who is looking after that volcano and what the official sources are for information so who is monitoring it who is in charge of managing a volcanic crisis when it happens and make sure that you know where to get that information from if such an event happens i would say find out what kind of the connection local people have with a volcano because it can be positive it could be negative it could be both so if we take uh, the volcano i researched last super for example it is quite negative they definitely revere it they're almost like scared of it that's also related to their religious beliefs so they believe that god is in control of the volcano so i would say be mindful of that because even if you're moving to a volcano you're still an outsider so you have to be respectful to other people as well as, you know, make sure you're safe as well. So again, follow Becky's advice, but also get to know the population and then also get to know the volcano that way as well. You get to know quite well the volcano as well. And maybe if you can, which would be really awesome, find any stories about the volcano as well. Mm -hmm. uh, because usually they're just really, you know, they, they usually have an online message in them, but they're usually just very dramatic and very beautiful stories. So see if we can try and find those, and that could help you start to form your own picture of what the risk of the volcano is.
You're making me want to go to a volcano now, for real. Please do. <laughs> go. Is there like some kind of estate agent that specialises in <laughs> volcanic, volcanic real estate? Well, there are. They're, they're, they're volcano tour companies. Um, oh. And you'd think they'd be the experts, but there was those um, volcano tour company that took people to Anak Krakatau uh, a couple yeah. of months ago. When the there's oh. a, So this is a volcano that erupted, um, well, it's been erupting kind of last year. There was a flank collapse on 22nd of December and it caused a tsunami which um, killed people along, along the coast in Indonesia. Mm-hmm. And there's a five kilometre exclusion zone around the volcano because it's still actively erupting, so there's, there's still risk there. And then there were pictures came across on the news and social media of a tour company on the volcano. So they broke the exclusion zone, they took no, people to the danger. Risky. And then <laughs> you kind of think, you know, from the tourist point of view, are they putting their trust in the, the, yeah. the tour company because they're the, the professionals. And so I think if you're going to these places as a tourist, it's understanding that kind of thing as well. You know, don't just trust the person who's taken your money and promised to take you there. Try and really find out whether it's safe and what's, and what's going on and what protections are in place. Yeah, I think that sources of information is really important. I think that's the, surely that's the only two things is to see a hazard map. You know, hazard maps around volcanoes are amazing because they do a really interesting job of translating all these complex physical processes that we might be interested in into this area is more likely to be hit by a lava flow or a pyroclastic flow or these are you know this is an area where if this happens in this location on the volcano so you can look at those maps and they I think they I think they're kind of beautiful in a way because they mm-hmm. often speak about the volcano's behavior but also the surrounding landscapes as well so whether there's valleys or ridges and the risk changes whether you might be at the top of that valley or at the bottom and quite a lot of detail in there so educating yourself but hopefully an estate agent would be like well you know it's really expensive to insure this because it's in the bottom of this valley next to this pyroclastic flow prone volcano so what is a pyroclastic flow becky did her phd on it <laughs> uh, so these are the currents that flow down volcanoes during the most explosive eruptions so you get these great big columns that come out of volcanoes and big explosive eruptions sometimes they collapse so these flows are filled with gas, ash, rocks, boulders, pumice, bits of magma. They can travel up to 450 miles an hour. They can travel tens of kilometres, the biggest ones that we've ever seen. Um, they can travel much shorter than that. And they can be up to about 1,000 degrees C. So you, you don't want to be in the path you of can one taste of marshmallows. these. <laughs> <laughs> these are the kind of flows you definitely cannot <laughs> taste marshmallows. Extreme marshmallow toasting. <laughs> but what if you wrapped some potatoes in foil and left them there <laughs> and came back a year later? Would they be cooked? It's also a traditional thing well, to do in, a, in Hawaii with burritos. But again, I do not <laughs> recommend doing the, the burrito lava talking about foods. tour companies. I think... <laughs> I think I'm sensing something here in the dialogue, which is around, is this an advert yeah. for your new company? Has studying that kind of risk, like, you know, the, the physical risk and the risk to communities living there, affected the way you treat risk in other aspects of your own lives? I don't think it transfers very well. So I don't think, because I'm very knowledgeable about risk of volcanoes, that I wouldn't perhaps behave the way that somebody would want me to behave around some sort of other risk. I guess I'm trying, I'm trying to think of an example Well, now. running or cycling we've talked about before. Like, you know, the yeah. people's perception of risk around running marathons. Right, you know, if you speak to somebody, it's really bad for you. Oh, I've read, like, one person died at some race last year, and people have this, this thing that it's just a life-threatening activity. But actually, if you look at the statistics, it's 
absolutely infinitely minimal risk of dying during a race, right? My, Do you know what I mean? My it's... dad got really worried when I ran London Marathon and he was just like, please don't die. <laughs> He's never said that to me when I've done any volcano no, field. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that so is fascinating. Him, me running the London Marathon was riskier than doing my day job. <laughs> Which is studying volcanoes. <laughs> is that because you've deliberately downplayed the risk of volcanoes because he's your dad? Absolutely. Have you not done that with your folks? No, I mean, I went and did something very kind of dangerous around a volcano a couple of years ago. But Was it marshmallows? <laughs> no. No, there was no marshmallows. But, you know, kind of... Okay, okay, so one, one thing about risk is, so one reason I went into this incredibly risky thing is because the reward of going to do that was huge, or it was sufficient for me to take on that risk. Are you able to tell us what it was? Yeah, yeah, so filming for Expedition Volcano, which is a TV show, it's a risky activity because going to a, uh, an active volcano, we abseiled into it, the abseil alone, if it was just on a sea cliff or any cliff anywhere would be, would it be not dangerous, there'd be a risk associated with it, it's probably a better way of saying it. But the opportunity to educate people about earth science and to be, uh, you know, in this case, a person of colour on TV, that was enough to make me go and do that very risky thing. And just to hang out at a lava lake. And to hang out at a lava yeah. lake. Would I have upset, would I have done it for, yeah, I probably would have done that. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm like, I, I would take on any risk. I am just, yeah, I'm the worst person to talk to about risk. I'm like, yeah, it sounds fine. <laughs> But that is one attitude to risk, as the individual people have very different attitudes. But also, we all have things that we regard as too risky and not too risky. So I, I for example, I will ride a motorbike, but I won't ride a push bike because I just think it's too dangerous. Oh, really? And I know that statistically, <laughs> statistically that makes no sense because they are probably roughly equivalent and on some measures motorbikes are more dangerous depending on what you do. But for me personally, it just, it feels more dangerous. Because you and do it less though. Uh, it's also, it's also I'm not, I don't feel very confident on a push bike, I feel more wobbly, whereas on a motorbike, big fat tyres, I feel but, but, more but confident in control. But that's only because you've not done it that much, right? So if no, you'd no. ridden the bike more, <laughs> I always think it's interesting because a lot of people say, I can't do X or Y or I feel more exposed yeah. in this, and they think they were kind of built like that. But actually, it's just because you've not done it as much as something else that you feel less threatened by, right? I think sometimes if somebody pushed, said that you can only ride your push bike, you'll be like... Chris Froome, like, you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to be Chris Froome, but I probably should, the, the more I think this, the more I think, if I'm doing a thing about risk, I probably should get do a push bike <laughs> and go and actually... Go and ride out and toast marshmallows go and be spotted by a lorry in Woolwich. Now, well, I'd, see, I'd be much happier doing that, honestly. I'd, I, would, I would literally prefer to abseil into an active volcano <laughs> than, to mo than to ride a bicycle in London. Oh, OK. I've developed a very unhealthy fear of um, water slides in places like centre parks because I injured myself once, so now I see it as a very risky activity really? where I would yeah. happily hike up an active volcano. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Like for me, I know it sounds really trivial, but I don't eat mushrooms. That's because when I was younger, I had a bad experience with mushrooms and I threw it all back up. So I was like, I won't touch mushrooms ever again. Oh, wow. <laughs> Even though that's just probably a one-off. <laughs> but... <laughs> But so a previous experience is important then as to elevating or suppressing maybe the baseline risk, yeah. if you will, of any activity. Yeah. And then we kind of amplify it a bit if we've been exposed to something painful before. And maybe the problem is the opposite, right? So if you kind of got away with it lots of time, you become more frivolous about the mitigation strategies you put in place to stop yourself from getting hurt, right? You just thought oh, I'll be fine because the last 100 times I did it. But then maybe you drop off to a point where 
you are in danger. Yeah, and those experiences, I think, are really important with how communities respond during a, a volcanic crisis. Mm -hmm. so, so exactly that. So um, there are examples when... So in Rabaul, um, there was an eruption. I can't remember what it was. Um, six. But the one, there was one before, one that before that where the eruption happened, people saw it. So then in 90... I think it was in the 90s. We can't agree on a date. I think it's 94, but um, when the volcano started looking like it was going to erupt again, the people remembered and self-evacuated. So way yeah. before all the official evacuations, everyone's like, oh, I know what this means, we're, we're leaving. Whereas in other places, they're either not familiar with it, so they've never seen an eruption before. So when the official evacuation orders come, they say, well, we don't really understand what this means and why it's important. Or there are places such as Tungarau in 99, the big volcanic crisis, and they were forced to evacuate. And then the volcano didn't really ever do anything that would have impacted them. So then they forcefully broke through the barriers to return home, and they would be enforced by the military. So there's you know, huge issues there. So then the worry is the next time the evacuation order comes, mm -hmm. how does that community respond? Will they evacuate or not? Because last time they evacuated, there was no reason to. False alarm, right? Yeah, yeah. so this <laughs> people's experiences trouble, yeah. can either be a really positive thing mm -hmm. and it helps them understand the risk and the problem and to behave in a way that the disaster risk management agencies would want them to, yeah. but it also can have that negative feedback as well. But yeah. even, I guess, it depends on the community that's, the community that's been affected in Niragongo, in Goma, even though people may have seen the eruption in 2002, having an evacuation order now in Goma, they might not respond because there's so much poverty there. There's, people have so little, they would rather take their chances of trying to protect that. Whereas at least if you've got a car or you've got some other way of removing your stuff and securing your property, you might then respond. So I think even if lava is literally coming down the street, if all you've got is in there and there's looters and there's lots of other threats to your property, do you know what I mean? So it's, it, even then it must be really problematic, even if people have seen it. Mm -hmm. They're like playing chicken a little bit. You know, how late can I leave it to respond yeah. because I have so little stuff? Yeah, yeah, and that's all, all this sort of is kind of what happened, came up in my research. Because for last of three, I looked at three eruptions. So one happened in 1812, one happened in 1922, one happened in 1979. What's interesting is that when I interviewed people for the 1979 eruption, some actually had stories passed down to them from their family members about the 1902 eruption. So some people responded better because they, they recognised the signs. So like for example, there, is a, there was a family who lived quite close to the volcano. What's interesting about this vo volcanic eruption is that it happened on Good Friday. And obviously, like I said before, they were quite a religious country. So they were up early in the morning preparing for a Good Friday feast. And this family, they their children were gone to fetch water from local well. They came back in a panic saying, what's this on my shirt? And they had white shirts on. And then the mother's like, I know what this is, this is volcanic ash. I was told about this. Mm. So to see, they were able to respond better and more quicker because they had stories of the previous eruption, which did kill people. So that's kind of, kind of like, okay, this is, this is bad. We need to get out now. So for that, there was a mixture of people evacuating immediately because they knew what it was. Some people did wait for an official government order but everyone was fine, no one actually was killed in 1979. So even if the experience comes from mm -hmm. someone in the past, passing it down, that also helps as well with risk as well, because you know, they would trust their family yeah, telling yeah, yeah. the right thing. Rather than the government. <laughs> yes, yeah. Like, yeah. We have yeah. no reason to trust the government. Yes, exactly. Anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so yeah, people would definitely trust their family over the government in some situations. So. Yeah, that's yeah. true. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, because then the relationship is really important, isn't it, between the 
the population and the, mm-hmm. and the officials. Mm-hmm. Because if there's a lack of trust around just loads of other stuff, um, yeah. then, you know, that, that'd be a problem. Well, that is the thing, isn't it, with l- scientists looking at risk, is you may say, look, we've studied this and we can give you reasonably good scientifically based even mathematical predictions of what the risk is but if people are going to act on that they need to trust you and trust not just the quality of your work but also like your motivation so if they suspect oh they're just saying this because they want us to to move so they can do something then they won't yeah desert your house so we can break in and take your stuff was the one thing we talked a lot about in goma it was part of a government conspiracy and that's because they say there was kind of little trust between the government which was based in another city on the other side of the country and then what was a kind of fairly rural city you know so there's lots of other reasons people don't trust each other and there's been a big problem traditionally and with volcanologists being based in western countries and then going out and traveling and visiting these places and they do their bit of work and then they go home and they write it up and they publish it and behind a paywall and so you know if you're there the the people say "Well, well who are you you know you come here and you tell us what to do and you say these things but i've lived here my whole life uh, i have a this different perspective and so mm. i think that there's some um, conflict i think there around that as well well this is fascinating i'm, I'm going to sign up to go on a tour and toast <laughs> march <laughs> this may not have been what you intended it's not officially recommended <laughs> Yeah, official advice is do not visit a volcano when it's active and do not on any account toast marshmallows. No, don't ride a bike there either. Definitely don't ride a bike. That would be madness. (laughs) All right, thank you all very much. Thank you. Thank you. That was Timandra Harkness Takes a Risk. The music was improvised specially for the podcast by Johnny Best, which is in itself a risky process. And I'll be talking to him about that in a later episode. If you like the podcast, I'm doing a live show at the 2019 Edinburgh Festival Fringe called Timandra Harkness, Take a Risk. It's mostly a chance for the audience to play with me and with Lady Fortune and for me to have very little control over the direction the show takes every day. You can find out more and book tickets at takeariskshow.com. It's on at the Roxy Downstairs at 11.15 every morning throughout the Fringe. Thanks for listening. Come back and listen to some more episodes. And if you like it, tell your friends. (laughs) 